Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be covering episode 312, entitled Par Avion. This is the 61st hour of the series, and there are 60 to go. This episode, of course, is the midway point of the series, and the midway point of this podcast project. So without further ado, let's jump into the Wikipedia summary for the episode, a a jam-packed episode indeed. In flashbacks, the episode starts with Claire finding herself in a ruined car, She sees her mother, Carol Littleton, lying in the road, badly injured. At the hospital, Claire's Aunt Lindsay confronts Claire about being cleaned up. A doctor tells Claire that all her mother's medical expenses have been taken care of by an anonymous person. Later, Claire discovers that this person is Dr. Christian Shepard. She realizes that he's the one paying the bills and asks who he is. Reluctantly, Christian admits that he is her father, meaning that Jack and Claire are half-siblings. Later, Christian explains over coffee with Claire that he had a fling with his mother, which resulted in Claire's birth. However, Claire's mother did not like that he had another family and told him to stay away. He reveals the reason he wanted to talk with her is that he wants Claire to think about ending her mother's life. Claire gets angry, believing that Christian is there to, quote, correct a mistake, close quote. She tells him paying the bills does not make him noble, and Claire leaves after telling him that she does not even know his name and does not want to know it. Back in Sydney, Claire visits with her mother, who is still in a persistent vegetative state. Time has gone on, and Claire reveals to her mother that she is pregnant, but giving away the baby. She tearfully apologizes for the accident and all the terrible things that she said to her mother before the accident had happened. On the beach, Desmond suggests that Charlie should go boar hunting. Claire sees a glint in a flock of seagulls and realizes that the birds migrate and that they may be tagged. She decides to capture a bird and attach a note about the crash of Flight 815. After explaining her plan, Jin and Sun help Claire set up a trap to capture one of the birds. Just as they are about to spring the trap, however, a gunshot rings out and scares the birds away. Desmond emerges from the jungle, claiming he was on the trail of a boar. Claire knows it somehow involves Charlie. She confronts Charlie about his and Desmond's strange behavior. Although Charlie struggles with whether to tell Claire about Desmond's prediction, he instead says her plan will only give people false hope. Claire is angry and asks Charlie to leave her alone. Later, Claire, after seeing an argument between Desmond and Charlie, follows Desmond. He picks up a seagull from a rock and explains to Claire how he's seen that if Charlie had gone to get the bird, he would have died falling into the sea. Claire takes the bird to Charlie and tells him she knows of the visions. Charlie and Claire release the bird with a note explaining the circumstances of the crash. Lastly, in the jungle, Saeed, Kate, Locke, Danielle, and the captured other Mikhail, a.k.a. Patchy, are together 
and they learned from Mikhail that the implosion at the Swan Station sent an electromagnetic pulse which wiped out an underwater beacon. This makes it impossible for the island to be accurately located or for anyone to return to it. Kate asks Mikhail why the others stay on the island if they have a way off. Mikhail says that Kate, Locke, and Saeed would not understand because they are not flawed and they're not on the list because they are angry, weak, and frightened. He goes on to say that the list was made by a magnificent man who brought all the others there. He is told that Ben Linus is not great, but Mikhail replies he's not talking about Ben. Mikhail also reveals that he knows their full names and begins to real, reveal the condition of Locke's uh, paraplegia, but Rousseau interrupts him when she spots an, en- an endless ring of cement pylons that disappear into the jungle as far as I can see. Said believes this is a security perimeter. Ultimately, Mikhail claims the system has not worked in years, just like everything else. But Locke simply grabs Mikhail and shoves him between two of the pylons. An odd electronic sound rings out, trapping Mikhail, who says thank you to Locke. The amplitude of the sound jumps up and Mikhail begins twitching and trembling. Blood drips out of his ears and saliva foams at the corners of his mouth. He falls over, spasms violently, appearing to be dead. Saeed confronts Locke about doing this. Locke replies replies that they had no other way of knowing. They argue about Locke's decision to blow up the flame station, and Locke retorts that he might not have done it if Saeed had mentioned that the entire station was rigged with C4. In looking for an axe, they discover that there is a brick of that same C4 in Locke's bag. Saeed immediately questions Locke's motives, asking if he really came to rescue Jack. Locke states there is no reason for him to be there other than to rescue Jack. They finish the tree bridge, and Kate volunteers to climb up first. She does so and checks Mikhail, confirming that he is dead. Kate, Saeed, Locke, and Rousseau reach the barracks. As the episode starts to conclude, expecting to see Jack in some sort of hostage situation, they instead are shocked to see him laughing and playing American football with the others, appearing to be comfortable with them. So, certainly a, uh, a, a weighty introduction there from what is a, uh, a weighty episode itself. Uh, a top-notch episode, certainly a, a very fun episode, uh, and, and kind of evenly, uh, evenly dispersed, shall we say. Some, some good drama towards the end in Claire's flashback. Uh, excellent kind of other island dharma type stuff, and then um, this kind of continuation of the uh, notion that Charlie will die. And indeed, let's talk about the episode, The Previously Unlost, concludes with a reminder that Charlie will die. The episode proper opens with a nice, slow reveal, that obligatory eye shot, looking a lot like Claire's wonderful, lovely green eyes. Uh, Then a point of view shot puts us in the car, and shows us there's a car crash, then Claire with black hair. Really nice hook in. Really great way to to start your teaser act here. The flashback ends with Claire cradling a blonde woman who appears to have been hit by the car. And this woman she, of course, calls Mom. Aside from the dramatic impact of the scene, it is, uh, you know, I think that even first-time viewers here must be wondering if that blonde woman in Australia, who she calls Mom, uh, so that puts her, you know, middle-aged. If uh, you know that there has to be that that wondering if that's the blonde woman 
in Australia uh, from the Anna Lucia Christian Shepherd flashback. If that's the same person, uh, of course, all you wise little ducks listening know that that is indeed the case and that we're going to get, well, the, you know, the, the, the vague suggestion in that episode, why would Christian be going there? Wasn't there some discussion back in that episode about uh, his daughter? It's his daughter. He has a right to see her. Is Claire his daughter? We're going to have all that answered tonight. And we'll certainly discuss that as we get closer to that scene. With that, the story moves to Island Claire, with, of course, the same eye shot, no less. Uh, And Charlie, who now is much more cheery, suggests that they go for a walk. Uh, You know, it's a fun little stop between the heavy flashback and the jungle business with Saeed and company looking over Dharma's map. Um, And indeed, you know, I mean, ultimately, this Claire Beach story does end up having a decent amount of weight to it because it really is just a sly way to actually discuss um, to discuss the Charlie will die storyline. We're just kind of attacking it from a, uh, from a side angle, not head on. Um, speaking of that bit less fun part. And of course, when I say less fun, I, you know, I mean more serious. It certainly uh, is not entertain. It, it's not, not entertaining. It still is entertaining to be with Saeed and company. Um, we have a moment that perhaps is not as fun, though. Some in-show dialogue that recaps last week's episode. Following the Echo Stick heading, blowing up the flame station, C4 in the basement, etc. They also recap the discussion as to whether to shoot Patchy or not. Something Kate brings to an end, this discussion of, well, what should we do with him? She brings to an end for two reasons. A, they need to get moving, and B, they need to end the scene. A scene that ends with... Uh, an ominous, jacchino-laden shot of Patchy looking up to no good. The teaser act, though, is not over. Uh, the story moves back to Claire and Charlie, about to have a lovely picnic, until Desmond interrupts very clearly to us, trying to get Charlie to come with him. We can certainly read those tea leaves on this one. There's, you know, Desmond suspects trouble is afoot. Uh, But what adds to the mystery is Claire watching that flock of birds fly by. Uh, Perhaps a bit, you know, flying a bit quicker than they might. um, And they're flying away from the island. The scene ends, as does the act, with Claire saying that she knows how to get everyone off the island. From that bit of dialogue forward, there's about mm, 10 seconds of Giacchino tension music, mysterious looks from Charlie and Desmond and... Not a whole lot. It really kind of felt like there was just a, an extra handful of uh, of reaction shots to pad out the scene. Now, I'm certainly no uh, no um, uh, soap opera watcher, but I'm so, I'm aware of how oftentimes they'll you know they'll come up with some great scene uh, you know some hook to end on, as does does all drama. Um, but that there's that kind of you end on people looking at each other, so the music can go bump bump bum. And that's kind of what it feels like here, where it could just be, hey, I know how to get off the island. Boom, cut to the title card. And I think we'd be like, all right, I don't think you're getting off the island this episode, but hey, nobody's talked about getting off the island lately, so let's hear more. This is interesting. This is enough to keep me sitting through the commercials. But no, I guess they feel, you know, feel that need for Desmond, Charlie, Desmond, Charlie. That's my Giacchino string uh, impression, by the way. Uh, by the way, speaking of uh, speaking of things, uh, well, pardon me, let me back up here. After the act break, 
Clara hatches her plan to catch migratory seabirds, which will be seen by folks farther south. You know, it's not the craziest of ideas, to be honest. As Charlie uh, listens, he looks off in the distance, though. Now there's a quick, perhaps just for a second, there's a quick shot of Desmond in the distance, his image blurry from the heat of the fire. It's almost kind of like a horror movie type cut. You know, like one of these, like, you know, like in Psycho as the stabbing is happening and you're kind of cutting quickly for things that you barely see. There's almost that kind of blip of Desmond appearing. Uh, Indeed, the music tells us that it's the Desmond story that's going to be the thing to watch in this episode in many ways. Speaking now of things to watch, it's around this point uh, where the credits tell us that the guest uh, stars include John Terry, Andrew Divoff, and Mira Furlan. Though we've already seen two of them in this episode, you know, thus far in the episode, as Patchy and Danielle, just pause for a moment to consider that all three of these actors, all capable, all beloved, uh, beloved for different reasons, but all certainly, you know, uh, appreciated uh, actors and appreciated characters, that they're all in this episode, in a jam-packed episode. Uh, with that, we move to flashback Claire getting patched up by a nice old doctor who, as soon as she's done getting patched up, nods to the cop outside to come on in. At this point, we learn that mom was in the car, not hit by it, uh, and that the cop is kind of vaguely suggesting that, that they hit the truck, not that the truck was, uh, uh, not that the truck hit them. Uh, he, it's also teased that mom may die. Uh, there's some fantastic acting here out of, uh, uh, you know, from Claire. She comes off as vaguely self-indulgent, perhaps helped by the dyed black hair, and kind of vaguely blaming of others, you know. You know, what do you mean mom is going to die? What do you mean when we hit the truck? Um, Kind of defensive, bratty, irresponsible, um... To my knowledge, it's some of the earliest... I mean, certainly this is pre-pregnancy and uh, pre-boyfriend Claire. So, um, you know, she's kind of sowing her wild oats of... uh, Oh, I don't know when you call it. Early adulthood self-indulgence. But at any rate, out of flashback, we're with Danielle and uh, Kate by the riverside. There's a really a heartfelt scene of Danielle backpedaling her feelings as she assumes her very own daughter will not remember her due to the amount of time that has gone by, which I think is certainly, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, a sad thing to think and probably a fair thing to think as well, that, you know, the baby was only a handful of days old when, uh, when taken away. Why, why would she remember her mother? And, uh, and then is not Danielle um, right in a certain way of thinking that, uh, that, she shouldn't expect too much out of the news that her she might be able to see her daughter again. And, you know, I, I think with all that, it's a reminder of why we like the character of Danielle so much. Uh, with that, we cut to their traveling, and there's just a splendid wide shot of Danielle kind of covering the high ground and others walking along the path with Patchy. Uh, just... A fantastic, a fantastic moment that just reminds you, you know, they're in a real jungle. This is this is a for real location that they're at. And indeed, as oftentimes is the case with Patchy, uh, once you get him talking, he just shares and shares and shares. 
How'd you get onto this island? Don't waste your breath. Whatever he says will be a lie. I was recruited when I was 24. I was approached by I a man. I didn't ask you when, I asked you how. They brought me on the submarine. So your people, they can just come and go whenever they want? Go, yes. But two weeks ago, our underwater beacon stopped emitting its locator signal. There was an event, an electromagnetic pulse. It would be impossible to come back. Why would you want to come back? You would not understand. Try me. I misspoke. What I meant to say is, you're not capable of understanding. And why am I not capable? Kate, because you are not on the list. What list? The man who brought me here, who brought all of my people here, he is a magnificent man. Ben so magnificent, then why did he need one of us to save him? Ben. Ben is not. I will try to make this as simple as I can. You are not on the list because you are flawed. Because you are angry. And weak. And frightened. The more I learn about your people, the more I suspect you're not as omniscient that you'd have us believe. Don't speak to us as if you know us. Of course I don't know you, Saeed Jara. How could I? And you, Kate are a complete stranger to me. But you, John Locke, you I might have a fleeting memory of, but I must be confused, because the John Locke I know was hey. perhaps... Look at this. Oh, Danielle interrupting just as... Uh, you know, before they talk about Locke's being paralyzed and before that gets spilled to the group. There, there's just tons of great stuff there from that clip. How they get in and out, how the others get in and out, that is. The underwater beacon, you know, whose source, you know, something that we'll see at the end of the season. Uh, information about the list, the Jacob given list, kind of the, the, the reverential way in which they treat Jacob. A, a reverential way that we will begin to see him that we certainly will accept him towards the end of the episode and that reverence being passed on to Hurley. Can you imagine what, you know, how will future generations of others, uh, you know, w w will they speak with the same um, sense of reverence about Hurley in, in decades or hundreds of years or, or in thousands of years? At any rate, Daniel has interrupted because they found that electromagnetic fence that, we know from looking back as we do, it keeps old Smokey out. Uh, Locke declares them, quote, here. And the act at that point ends with a Giacchino thud. After the act break, Claire's bird trap is underway. Obviously, you know, it's not going to work, right? Obviously, it's not going to be the thing that gets them off the island. But it still feels that it's being vaguely presented uh, or that, that it's being presented as vaguely silly, that is to say. Um, why? I'm not quite sure. I mean, it, it's it's as good an idea as any after you've been there for 78 days now at this point. Uh, Son and Claire, they gab a bit about their odd lot in life, as well as what Son's mother would think of Son cutting bait, Son's mother having never worked, of course. Claire says, my mother was a librarian, and Son asks, was... 
And with that, Claire gets a move on because, talking about mom in the past tense, it's flashback time. And in the flashback, sullen flashback Claire goes to visit mom who's comatose and sustained by machines. She gets yelled at, Claire does, by Aunt Lindsay, who, luckily, Claire calls Aunt Lindsay, so we know who's who. Aunt Lindsay yells at her for not visiting sooner. You know, Claire, or Emily Duravin, six of one, half a dozen of the other, they're, they're really so striking with black hair. And as is oftentimes the case, particularly the women, they just look fantastic when they're made up properly for these off-island bits. With that, mom's prognosis is repeated. She could need hospital care for a day, or a week, or heck, years. Then, there's mystery. But I can assure you, she'll be well looked after. It's very nice. But we can't pay for that. Don't worry. Her expenses have already been taken care of. What? By whom? I've been asked to keep that confidential. I think for those of us playing along at home, it's clear that this mystery benefactor must be some sort of rich American surgeon who, for some reason, has a stake in in this woman's uh, condition or well-being, or perhaps he has some sort of feeling of guilt. Anyhow, the flashback ends, and Claire is about to spring her bird trap when the birds are scared off by gunfire, the gun's owner being Desmond. At this point, there's a rather typical scene of Claire suspecting Desmond and sounding silly accusing him, but we, of course, know better. We know something is up as well, and that Desmond is sacrificing himself in one way or another, if nothing uh, less than, or if nothing more than kind of sacrificing his own, uh, you know, uh, sense of uh, seriousness, you know, because it kind of looks silly. Why is he giving her a hard time? Uh, so kind of point being, Desmond is sacrificing himself in order to do the right thing, to save someone, which is my also, also is my little way of reminding you that I see Desmond as a Christ figure in this uh, story. Anyhow, with that, we head back to the electromagnetic fence uh, where there's more stuff where we're asked to play along at home. What are these pylons? What do you think they are? A security perimeter. Those sensors on the side would be triggered if anyone passed between them. It's an alarm system. Or a trap. Either way, we'd be safer going around it. You're right. It was a security perimeter. But like everything else on this island, it hasn't functioned in years. Of course it has. If you wish to waste your time, be my guest. The pylons encircle the entire barracks. There is no going around them. If you don't believe me, look at your map. What we have here is part exposition kind of sharing facts and part mystery. Uh, We don't have much to trust when it comes to Patchy, of course. Uh, And having been told they don't work, we get a quick reminder why we don't trust him once Locke grabs him and pushes him toward that fence line. John! John! Thank you. 
it's a rather jarring scene uh, to watch him as he's foaming from the mouth, blood coming from his ears. Uh, and, you know, it's, I mean, you can hear it there, this kind of juiciness. And, and you know, you're inclined on a certain level to feel bad for him, certainly. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, we're, we're, we're taken to the end of the act. After the act break, what exactly has just happened to him? Uh, it's something that Saeed calls a hemorrhage, you know, a brain hemorrhage. Um, there's a, a bit of a hint at this point that Locke hasn't come along for the sake of saving Jack. But, you know, it's a hint from either Kate or Saeed. Uh, certainly the show is bringing it up, but it's quickly brushed away once Kate says that they'll build some sort of contraption to go over the fence. Uh, at this point, though, the plot circles back to Locke, who all of a sudden is looking quite mysterious as there's C4 from the flame hatch in his bag. And Saeed, who who usually is our barometer for all that's just in the world, which I think is worth just pondering a moment, you know, that the, the, the wonderful arc of this show, that he probably is the person that, you know, if you were on 815, you probably would want at least to be sitting next to him, particularly in 2004. I think that's, that's probably... Uh, uh, a fair and honest uh, assessment for most of us. Um, you know, hopefully we would kind of quickly dismiss that notion, but I think that that would be the first gut reaction. But here we are, uh, you know, uh, some years after the crash, whether it's in the story chronology or as you're listening to this, and we can certainly look at Saeed. As I said, he's this he's this barometer for that which is that which is good. He normally knows how to walk that line between. Uh, direct action and um, you know not overplaying your hand at any rate Saeed thinks that this all doesn't add up um, he's he's really now calling attention to, to what Locke may or may not be up to uh, the scene concludes with lots of kind of mysterious looks between Kate and Locke and Saeed and it made me wonder if uh, uh, if this is more padding, perhaps, the padding that we saw at the end of the teaser act. With this back on the beach, Claire yells at Charlie while Aaron sleeps. To me, this is totally unbelievable. Doubly so, since Aaron sleeps the entire yelling. Indeed, Claire caps the scene off by yelling, Just go! Aaron sleeps through it. I don't know. I mean, look, I understand, you know, that uh, why they don't have newborn babies playing newborn babies on TV, that there's, you know, health and time considerations and whatnot. I understand all that. I understand that, you know, TV babies act by a different set of rules, and that's because we understand at a certain point this is not, you know, a reality show where, you know, where where everything is real, but they couldn't have just... You know, Claire couldn't have said, Charlie, get over here away from that baby and then chew him out. You know, if you're if you're 20 feet away, that's a, an acceptable boundary, you know, to yell at somebody on TV, you know, 20 feet away from a baby. Her fight takes it closer and closer to Aaron until she's sitting next to him. Uh, anyhow, you know, Claire yelling, just go. This is fitting because in flashback, Claire is alone. Uh, but told that there's a great new American doctor who's helping out with uh, her sick mom. Da, da, da. Uh, she meets this doctor, and the plot thickens as Aunt Lindsay returns, and clearly knows who Christian is. Dun, dun, dun. That's when there's the big reveal, which 
even the daft among us can see coming since at this point he's in the room, but that's when the big reveal is given to us. And who are you? I'm your father, Claire. I like that the show has kind of built in these medium-length payoffs. Not everything needs to be resolved in episode, nor does it need to be kind of Jacobian in length, you know, where where Jacob's greatness is first hinted at, you know, when Ben is first captured in season two. Then there's references about him in season three, and then it's so on and so on and so on uh, until the end, you know, until we completely understand kind of Jacob's story at the end of the series. You know, not everything needs to be that length either. At any rate, uh, we end the act, and after the act break, a tree is chopped down, and Kate uses it to get up and over the sonic fence. There's really some extra Giacchino tension as she goes over. I'm not quite sure why, as the thing is not powering up. I mean, there's, you know, the Wikipedia summary says, you know, when you're caught in between the two pylons, you you get frozen there by stage one of it. But, you know, it took a couple of seconds for Patchy to go from pushed through there to, you know, foaming at the mouth. So we as the audience know that even if she does mess up somehow, it's going to be a second or two. It's not going to be like a gun going off or, or dynamite exploding. Um, but... Anyhow, you know, there's this extra tension. It's not powering up. Uh, Kate clearly is uh, between the emitter heads of the pylon she's going over. Uh, And indeed, even after she's past the danger point, the music still keeps things tense. You know, it's just slightly odd. And, I mean, considering that the to me, the tension in the scene is not... um, that she's going over, it's that you see Patchy still breathing, which Lostpedia later mentions, you know, people thought initially was a, uh, you know, was a mistake. So, which clearly it is not. But, um, you know, I was kind of, I couldn't quite remember, was Patchy going to get up? Is he going to, are they going to look and all of a sudden he's gone? You know, what what do they do with that? And um, I don't know, it's just, it's kind of an overly tense scene without a lot going on. Um, and just to finish up the thought there about Patchy still breathing, uh, you know, in, in retrospect, it's not a shocking idea that, that, uh, well, let me put it this way. If you're a first time viewer, you can still be breathing and near death. You know, you have a brain hemorrhage where you have blood coming out of your ears and you're foaming at the mouth. You're probably going to die. Uh, obviously though, we know better as Patchy is near indestructible. With that, we head back to the beach, and Claire says that she wants uh, to get answers from Desmond and Charlie, who are, at this point, talking things over. And then we flash back to piercing shop worker and tattoo shop worker Claire, who's visited by dear old dad. No, no, nobody's about to get a tattoo from Bai Ling in Thailand. Don't worry. Uh, he takes her out for a cup of coffee, and it's, it's really punctuated by great acting uh, from both of them. She's tender and tentative. He's confident, but still kind of vaguely embarrassed after the fact. Uh, It's a wonderful little scene, at least until Christian uh, starts to talk about pulling the plug on dear old mom. Why don't you just go? Go back to your real family. No. No. 
you might be my father. But I don't even know your name. And I um, want it to stay that way. Claire, 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 listen, listen to me, listen to me. Do not keep your mother alive for the wrong reasons. Now, there is hope and there is guilt, and believe me, I know the difference. great seeing you again you know for all of christian being a jerk in so many ways uh in that scene uh and in the course of the series i kind of i kind of like that there's almost a surgical fashion to how he realizes that this is a case that can't be fixed so he still though shows that kindness that he has he still makes his peace and says goodbye to his kiddo and there's kind of this moment there where you know you get this sense of oh, how many times did he go visit her? How much secret pride does he have? Um, how much regret does he have? Not that he has a daughter out there, but regret in um, in not having played a role in her life, that not having been a stronger man. You know, he ultimately is, uh, you know, such a fallible character. I think, you know... Uh, presented as a villain so many times but then at a certain point we realize you know he's he's kind of us in many ways he's made mistakes you know hopefully not hopefully we haven't made mistakes like him either in his personal life or his professional life uh but you know that that he's he is as guilty of making mistakes in life as we are and uh anyhow Let's stick with this episode before I, I think too much about the finale. Uh, after the flashback, Claire follows Desmond to where a single bird is nesting. And there's kind of the sense of, are we still with this bird thing, really? Yes, we are. It's carried through to the end, uh, and I think to good effect, as we as we well, as we'll see in the final flashback scene. Uh, Claire says that Desmond looked like he clearly knew where he was going, and Desmond half whispers his question: How could he know? See that spot over there? That's where Charlie slipped and fell in. He got pounded again and again by the rocks and broke his neck. What? What are you talking about? That's where Charlie died. This is a very, very curious way to end the act. We know he didn't die there, so it isn't much tension uh, for us to end on. We know that Desmond sees flashes of the future, so him sharing that with Claire, while interesting, it's not quite worthy of ending the act with a, you know, bum, bum, bum. Anyhow, after the act break, Claire tells Charlie that Desmond told her. Charlie bravely smiles and asks if she really believes in all of that. With that, we move to, uh, to one more flashback. Claire, who we see as first blonde, then pregnant, is at the hospital. Uh, obviously, you know, with uh, <laughs> a number of months having uh, uh, gone on in the interim. Uh, at this point, there's a really nice callback. Claire turns the TV back on because mom loves her nature shows. And there are, uh, on the TV, there are migratory water birds. The strength of the series as a whole is in this scene. 
kind of rather fitting at the, you know this being the middle of the series we we have in this scene uh kind of a series in a nutshell connections to other flashbacks the capper on uh, on a really effective um flashback story um connections to the to the uh the on island story um because indeed claire tells her absent mother uh, that she's pregnant and giving the baby away. Uh, there's added meaning now. Claire was ready to give her baby away after knowing for at least these many, many months that she was successfully raised by a single mother. The tears that Claire sheds here, they're all the more effective because she's all that admitting that she's not the woman that her mother is or was, depending on how she's viewing her mother's state. It's heartfelt, it's wonderful, it's a moving scene. It's punctuated by Claire's rather standard but nonetheless moving apology for saying all the things that we've said to loved ones in the past, things that we shouldn't have said in the first place. At this point, having really tugged at our heartstrings, the flashback ends uh, with that one bird, uh, much like perhaps the dove released from uh, Noah's Ark. Uh, and the note to be sent with it. This is, of course, on the beach. It's that that uh, bird that Desmond has rescued, and Claire finally will be sending off, uh, sending off that uh, that note to whoever might find it. Jacino montages us through Sawyer, Desmond, Son, Jin, and Aaron. To whom it may concern, we are survivors of Oceanic Flight Eight One Five. Arrived on this island for 80 days. We were six hours into the flight and the pilot said we were off course and turned back towards Fiji. We had turbulence and crashed. We've been waiting here all this time, waiting for rescue that has not come. We do not know where we are, we only know you have not found us our best to live on this island some of us have come to accept we may never leave it not all of us have survived since the crash but there is new life too and with it there is hope we are alive please don't give up on us it's a uh, Perfectly. After the reading, Claire assures Charlie that everything is going to be okay. And that's kind of the trick of the, the second half of this season. We slowly come to accept that for Charlie, it isn't going to be okay. You know, which is uh, a sad note, certainly. Charlie is such a, such a great character. At any rate, the show almost ends on that happy note. One of hope and being okay possibility, freedom, but... What? We're here. Saeed, Kate, Danielle, and Locke sneak through the brush, and we see Othersville, a place that the season has shared with us uh, a few times before, so it certainly is familiar to our eyes. Suddenly, Jack is running toward the camera, and oh, for a split second, we can predict how this is going to end. Jack running, 
end of the episode, then his story next week. But the lazy football comes into view. It's caught by him. He's playing catch with Tom Friendly. Their shock is our shock. Who is this happy member of the community? The scene ends with Jack spiking the ball just as Giacchino ends the scene. It's not the most shocking ending of an episode of Lost, but it certainly is one where you cannot conceive uh, what has happened in a couple of episodes. It's been two episodes now that we haven't seen Jack. Uh, you cannot conceive what change has occurred, and it certainly springs you all the faster to to the next episode. And it's one of those uh, delightful stings of you know it, if you watched it when it was originally broadcast, you know oh no, you need to wait another week to see this episode. Luckily, we're not uh, in that same position exactly, but. Uh, Let's not talk about next week quite yet. Let's take a look at Lostpedia, which had a ton of really good stuff for this episode. Kudos, Lostpedia. Uh, first, they say that Par Avion is French for uh, by way of air and is used to designate airmail. Uh, it is used on airmail letters like the one, quote-unquote, sent by Charlie and Claire. Uh, and it mentions that uh, Avis is the Latin word for bird. Uh, also, Lostpedia says, as I mentioned before, initially thought to have been a blooper, Mikhail can be seen breathing following his quote-unquote death, uh, and the blooper nature of it was debunked when he turned up alive in the episode D.O.C. Uh, they also mentioned that, uh, that uh, visible at the barracks are men and women using a lawn fertilizer cart, bicycles, swing sets, and carrying backpacks. There's also a child, which is a nice little tidbit, you know, as well get deeper and deeper into othersville uh they also say it is revealed in this episode that claire's father is christian shepherd and that she is thus jack's half-sister this will not be addressed in show until the end of the fourth season and jack and claire will not meet as siblings until the last recruit so some long-term prognostication there uh also lostpedia mentions that paravignon is the only Claire-centric episode where Aaron doesn't play a part in Claire's actions in flashbacks or real-time events. So the little guy, little uh, turnip head sitting this one out. Uh, They also mentioned the uncredited, non-speaking role of Carol Littleton uh, as Claire's mother was played by Arlene Newman Van Esperen. This is the character's first appearance on the show. This is the third Claire-centric episode in as many seasons. Oh, Sorry, that's a second bit of trivia there. So, anyhow, boom, you have the, uh, the introduction of Claire's mother. Uh, they also say this is the third Claire-centric episode in as many seasons to immediately follow a Saeed-centric episode. I'm not quite sure why that's the case. Maybe just kind of the, the roughness of the Saeed backstory uh, smoothed out by the roughness of, uh, the, or the, the smoothness of, of Claire's personality. But last but not least, Lostpedia says... This is the last solely Claire-centric episode of the series. Uh, Onwards, she has uh, only had flashes in multi-centric episodes, namely The Last Recruit and The End. So, with that, let's now look ahead to next week's episode, which is episode 313, The Man from Tallahassee, which is a a Locke episode, and uh, certainly a... uh, a good one indeed. Uh, more Danielle, more Richard, more Tom Friendly, more Alex. 
uh, as well as our normal cast of characters. So something to look forward to next week. If you'd like to share feedback, say hello to me on Twitter, looking at where I'm looking back lost. Leave a message on the Google Voice listener line, 732-707-1815. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Or leave a comment on the website, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. So thank you, everyone, for listening. This certainly was a jam-packed and fun episode. And I will talk to you all again next week for 313, The Man from Tallahassee. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye.